This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. I think that that thing of it takes seven years or whatever to diagnose endometriosis, what's actually important is the time it takes to treat and validate a woman's pain. Welcome to FemPower Health. Georgie here. I'm so excited to bring to you this episode with Dr. Peter Wright out of Australia. And for those of you who have listened to previous episodes with Dr. Lara Bryden, who is actually out of New Zealand, you have her to thank for this introduction. This episode actually was a get to know you call with Dr. Wright. And I had asked her at the beginning if we could record it. And this Zoom call has now turned into an awesome podcast episode. So thank you, Dr. Wright, for your openness and sharing this initial conversation. And here we talk about endometriosis, pain, and also how trauma can impact pain. This is really an initial conversation because we agreed we definitely need to talk more about this topic. So as you listen to the episode, please do share with me additional questions that you may have because I will make sure to ask them of Dr. Wright in our next conversation and that episode will go live in season four. So be sure to follow on Apple Podcast and Spotify Podcast so that you will be alerted for when that goes live. So let's take a listen to this awesome conversation. So I'm um, a fertility, I do fertility and I do gynecology and I kind of focus in a, in a much more holistic way than the conventional gynecology system kind of does. Right. Um, you know, so like often, well, as I was trained, it would be a woman would come in, just discuss her uh, period problems or her gynecological things and you you kind of have a very quick question about you know family life family history um social history um and then that's kind of it in your in the in the typical how I was trained to practice right and um no basic like and root cause as you were saying even in medicine conventionally isn't a thing that you focus on you I guess it's like it's like you come with a period problem it's heavy it's painful whatever okay so what the conventional solution was generally surgery is generally surgery or it's hormones or it's the pill or it's you know something that switches off the cycle reg- to regulate obviously it doesn't regulate the cycle switches off or um removes something from the body so as a right. surgical answer they're only what you're interested in when you're a conventional gynecologist mostly <laughs> and i got really i became very 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 disillusioned by that and also I think I talked to my patients a lot more and I could understand the the impact that environment have on women's health um so for example you know with polycystic ovarian syndrome which is just you know a massive 
I have a massive bugbear with that anyway with the name, but it's an umbrella term. No one wants to get to the root cause of it. Um, so it's all just slapping a big Band-Aid on it. With that. And women are very confused by that diagnosis as well. And it's so often it's environmental, either environmental at the time or environmental from when the woman was in utero, from environmental exposures early on in her life. Or, But no one was interested in doing that. And I just became very interested in doing that um, for, for all of those conditions and educating and helping women to understand about their bodies. Because like the number of women I've seen who are 40, three and have been on the pill for almost their entire lives and have no idea what that what the pill is doing to them and they've just gone on it because their doctor has said you should go on it for acne or to regulate your cycles at the age of 14 um, is crazy it's, it's so common and you know women who now come to see me for fertility problems who started their period at say 13 had irregular cycles which is pretty normal when you're first starting to get cycles if you understand the development of the brain and the over ovary axis you understand that that's part of it and but but many gps aren't educated about what's normal in a woman's body and so they don't educate women and they're just like okay well here's the pill so that they go on the pill before their reproductive systems are mature and before they're regularly ovulating they stay on it for 20 years they then go off it at 35 and want to try and have a baby and they, their periods are irregular and, you know, they might have acne and they might have some other things, which then they get slapped with a diagnosis of PCOS and get really funneled down the fertility pathway, or the infertility pathway or having to do IVF to conceive when really their reproductive system is still immature and it just needs time, which they're lacking at 35, right? right. So there's a, that's a big thing in itself. By the um, way, you know, that was me. I was on the pill from when I was 18 to 35. Yeah, but this is the thing. And also doctors will say that's a really good way to, to cure or treat endometriosis, which obviously not because you were on the pill for that whole time and right. endometriosis. Um, so, so, so doctors telling women that, that the pill or hormonal suppression is the only way to treat endometriosis is, is not right either. The other thing that I've found in my research, so talking to women so I did a big course with Aviva Rom do you know her yes I do Rom? yeah probably a couple of years ago I feel like my child was little like maybe three years ago on integrative medicine um and I've done a master's in fertility and all of that sort of stuff but her course was amazing like that was the most amazing wonderful eye-opening beautiful thing because it taught root cause medicine and it taught whole wholehearted medicine and I always say that and my conventional friends don't have any idea what I'm talking about and think I'm really woo-woo but like I think that's <laughs> so important so I ask everybody about everything you know environmental exposure before anyone comes to see me they've filled out a big intake form including things like and this is con probably controversial and I'm speaking at it at two conferences and I'm writing a book at the moment about this somehow between my time um, about pain, pelvic pain and trauma. So I would probably say that about 90% of the women who come to see me who have pelvic pain um, have got a history of childhood or adolescent trauma um, and no one really thinks to ask women. And I think it's this kind of, well, there's not enough time in a conventional consult, you can't really get into it. But, and also um, not wanting to say to women, your pain is in your head, because of course we don't want to say that to women, but there is a connection 
huge connection between trauma experience as a young person or ongoing stress and pelvic pain in my practice, in my experience, and in the literature as well. So there's a, a study by um, Sonia Grover, who's a, a doctor here in Australia, who just, it was a systematic review, um, which just came out maybe a month ago, which was very handy because it cut my book research short because she had this beautiful summary. Um, have you heard of a, the ACE study, the Adverse Childhood Events Study? No. Okay, so it's an American study. I don't know how long ago it was, but basically they looked at, there's a, a questionnaire called the ACE questionnaire and it's, I can't remember how many questions, but it basically gives you a score about, and it is quantifying childhood trauma. So incidents in childhood, adolescence, pre-18, and it okay. gives you a score. And if you have a higher number, they found in their studies that you were much more likely to have, even when you um, controlled for depression and mental illness and things like that, but you were more um, likely to have depression, uh, addiction, but physical things as well. So cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, autoimmune disease, including pain, um, because the theory is the, of the way that you know, trauma and prolonged stress changes our nervous system. So it creates changes in our nervous system, which then change our hormones, which then change our gut microbiome, which then change our um, immune system, increase inflammation in the body to actually have physical changes that can be seen further down the track. There's a link between childhood trauma. We often think sexual trauma, but it's not yep. just sexual trauma. It's also um, like family um, trauma, divorce, relational stuff, um, things like that. Oh, you know, the family members having uh, health or medical problems during that time of their life. And I see that so often, especially if it's persistent pain. So, you know, someone can come with just painful periods or painful ovulation. And that's sort of, you know, the more simple pain. A question for you is in this kind of a case, yeah. How does root cause, like, so we know this is the root cause, right? The trauma, but like now you have the condition. So do like, then how do you tackle it? Like, is it, yes. you have to make sure you handle the trauma? Like, yeah, so it's really important because what happens is people, will, this is what I see typically. So I'll see the people who haven't seen other people or I'll see, and that that's this is a big part of their. Um, I'll, I'll send you some graphics if you like that might help yeah. to explain how I explain it That'd to my patients. So even if someone has endometriosis, and and if you talk to Lara as well, she'll talk about the the um, you know bacterial like the theory of my gut microbiome, um, uh, leaky gut, like in, increased intestinal permeability, um, LPS. Um, you know, going through those gaps, interfering with the immune system and potentially that being part of what's happening with endometriosis and like other autoimmune diseases. And there's lots of evidence that stress and trauma affect the microbiome, affect the, the ability of the um, endothelial cells to make that mucus layer um, and, then, and then increases the chance of intestinal permeability, right? Increased intestinal, intestinal permeability. So basically what I say with my so I've got like a two diagrams. One is like got pain in the middle and it's got all the factors that contribute to pain, which I think is so important. And so there are things like, um, so sometimes trauma, sometimes the effect on the autonomic nervous system. So that often increases our 
sensitivity to pain and, and prostaglandins and inflammation, um, the effect on the gut, immune system, increased inflammation, endometriosis, it can sometimes be part of the pain picture, increased pelvic floor dysfunction, which is a huge part of it that is often unrecognized. Yeah. Um, and then the effects of that ongoing. So then, you know, further when you've got that pain cycle set up then further kind of isolation anxiety depression whatever and then it continues and the other one is a picture of an iceberg and it's like a big iceberg with its pain and then at the very yep. top of that is endometriosis and and then there's laparoscopy tackling that endometriosis which is like the tip of the iceberg but then so then you look at the water and the iceberg isn't there that you think but underneath the water there is all the things that can contribute to endometriosis that haven't been tackled so the increased inflammation the immune system dysfunction then the pelvic floor stuff that is part of the pain stuff the um turned up autonomic nervous system that increases your uh not only increases your feeling of pain but it also increases your inflammation and reduces your immune system and and makes that cycle continue so if you're just doing a laparoscopy you're missing so much of the picture for the, for women who have pain and who are i think you know often being told that endometriosis is the only cause of pain and the only thing you, could, you need to do about that is get a diagnosis get it removed with surgery um, i think that's really dangerous because i see women who've come from other gynecologists who are very lesion focused and they will have had 10 laparoscopies and they're still in pain. And in fact, they might've come to that first person with either um, pain just with their periods. And now they have persistent pain because they've further, they're, um, they're being, become centrally sensitized. Uh, and then they've got scar tissue and they've had all of these operations, right? Um, and their pain isn't better. And not only is their pain not better, it's worse, but you then dig down into, okay, well, what are the other factors in your pain that haven't been addressed up until this point? And, you know, there might be trauma that's a part of it, pelvic floor that's a part of it, increased inflammation, all of that which haven't been addressed with diet, haven't been addressed with pelvic floor physio, haven't been, the nervous system stuff hasn't been addressed. And in fact, it's just increased and increased and increased because they haven't been able to understand that link between what's happened to them and then how that affects their physical body. Because if you can understand that, then you can be like, oh, well, that explains a lot of what's happening in my body. There might be other factors like endo, which is wrapped up in it, but you can begin then to join the dots and begin to sort of create a plan to tackle the pain in the whole picture about by, especially with the nervous system stuff, by if there's trauma to address, acknowledging it, addressing it, getting appropriate um, trauma-informed care. And that might be talk therapy, it might be somatic stuff, it might be EMDR. And then it's about um, understanding that if your nervous system is turned up to like 10, I always talk about it like being a, a dial, a volume knob. Yeah. And if something's happened to you early in life that's pre-programmed your nervous system to be hypervigilant. Um, so think people like um, Bessel van der Kolk, I don't know if you've read his work, he's read, written, written like a New York Times bestseller called um, The Body Keeps the Score. He talks oh, yes. About, yeah. And so if your nervous system is like dialed up to 10 because something you've felt unsafe at a certain point in your life, um, you become hypervigilant. And that then can carry on to your life. So it's about if you, oh, okay, I understand that. Um, I can now do practices to help um, turn down my nervous system. So that might be 
you know, doing the therapy stuff. It might be learning to do deep um, breath work. It might be learning to meditate. It might be doing yoga therapy. It might be getting into nature. It might be catching yourself when you're in a pain flare. Because, for example, the flip side of the women with pain and endo is the women who have pain have a laparoscopy and who don't have endo. And I've seen so many women cry like devastated in the recovery room if they don't have endometriosis because oh my god well what's they're not getting validated and I don't think surgery should be the thing that validates someone's pain I think that should be validated when you first see them and they're talking about their pain yeah um and they are and often so when I trained if you did a negative laparoscopy so you didn't find endo you'd be like oh well it's don't know it's not gynecological you can go to see a gastroenterologist like it was just given, there was no explanation. And now I have huge explanation for, for this. You know, if they don't have endo, but they still have a lot of pain, often this is part of their story. And you can then they can understand, oh, you're getting really bad ovulation, really bad period pain. But what happens at these times? You have prostaglandins, you have inflammation. Some people find, like feel a little bit of pain in those times, but yours is turned massively up. And your experience of that is like, because your body is is feeling every little thing as a as a um, threat you know what I mean so it makes a lot more sense so that education piece is really important and then it can help people to because like if you've had sexual abuse um and you've got pain as a result or whatever like one laparoscopy and no recognition of that trauma isn't going to help and 10 laparoscopies is definitely not going to help and I would even go so far as to say that even with endometriosis um like out the evidence for surgery, like to speak to the people that are really outraged about the, like suggesting that using ultrasound to diagnose endometriosis is perhaps better than surgery, is I kind of actually question being a person in the field who has done laparoscopies my whole life, um, that most people, and even when they've had the best surgery from the very, very, very best person, especially if they've already got persistent pain before they go in for their surgery. There's a good study that says that if you've already got persistent pain and you don't have ultrasound evidence of um, deep endo, then surgery is probably unlikely to help that much with pain, even if you have endo diagnosed at laparoscopy, but it's mild. Um, and also like there's the paradox of endometriosis, right? Like there's the the fact that a lot of women have endo and have zero pain and some people have no endo and have pain and there was a study looking at um, just doing laparoscopy in women for other reasons and they found that about 50% of women who were asymptomatic had endo um, probably mild endo and my I, I think that some endo is probably physiological in that 100% of women have some blood coming back out of the pelvis out of the fallopian tubes and into the pelvis when we bleed and if you've got a healthy immune system or you don't have too much bleeding then that your immune system is going to clean up those cells but if your immune system is is you know not working well so it's dysfunctional it's overactive that's when often you get that severe endometriosis and scarring but, um, you know, there's lots of anecdotal data about going back and doing um, second look laparoscopies that people don't really do that much anymore. But having noted some, lap, some endo in like the right side and then they go back and they're like, oh, that's gone. And they might be a little bit over on the bladder. And that would be part of a healthy immune system dealing with those cells. And then when you look at the evidence for, I mean, for, for surgery and endometriosis and pain, which is really why you're doing the surgery apart from infertility, um, that 
the Coch a Cochrane review in 2020, looking at surge laparoscopy for pain and endometriosis, concluded that that you know we're uncertain whether it's actually an effective treatment for pain. There have only been three um, randomised controlled trials on pain and surgery for endometriosis. And like in one of them, I don't know if you know about this one, this was an Australian study. There wasn't that many people in the arms, in each arm, but they did laparoscopy on everyone in the trial and they only removed endo in like half of the people and they left it in the other half, but they still did the keyhole, keyholes. And uh, after that, so it was like 70% of women improved with their pain if they had excisional surgery, but 30% of people improved by just having the, the holes. Like, so the ones that didn't have this actual endometriosis surgery, 30% of their pain improved, like initially, which is like a crazy placebo effect, right? But it's like yeah. you're getting validated. And then um, six months later, when they went back to excise the endometriosis and the people that they didn't excise it, they found that like a third, I think 40% was the same. 30% um, was improved when they were documenting the lesions and like maybe 30% was a bit worse. But there's oh, I, basically I feel like with all my work that I don't know, I mean, I don't think that doing that first laparoscopy for diagnosis, so if it's fertility and there's unexplained infertility and you know that removing endometriosis can improve your spontaneous pregnancy rate by a bit, but not massively, it's, um, then I would do laparoscopy for that. But telling people that, you know, it's by what order that it can increase, um, can increase um, fertility. Um, but for pain, I think that as a society, we really, really need to rethink doing surgery on women for pain and having like endometriosis being this big fear point in young women's minds, because all the evidence suggested is not that great for pain relief and it can be making things worse. And there are a lot of other things that we need to tackle. So, you know, looking at diet, looking at stress, looking at environment, looking at other treatments that can reduce inflammation in the body. And I don't necessarily think that a laparoscopy is, I think that that thing of it takes seven years or whatever to diagnose endometriosis I think it, what's actually important is the time it takes to treat and validate a woman's pain. That's what I think is important. And I don't necessarily think that a laparoscopy is necessary for every woman with pain. Yeah. And I think, I think there needs to be discussed. So I discuss all of that with my patients and I say, you know, this is what you can, because I have some people who go in, like, for example, I saw a woman yet the other day who had um, a la an ovarian cyst. Mm -hmm. And she had a torted ovary, so it twisted on its blood supply and she had to have surgery to remove the cyst and correct that. She was like 38 or something at the time and she'd had two children in the past. And so she went in, had that, and be before that had had some pain with periods but all very manageable, not, not anything major. Um, the surgeon at her surgery said, oh, and you've got, took her ovary out and said, oh, and by the way, you've got endo. So we're going to put you on Zolidex after this. Like there's no discussion. It's just, you've got endo. It's like, you've got it. It's like a, like cancer. It needs to be treated. Right. Not thinking about lots of people have endo. It's about your quality of life and you've got to be doing something to improve the person's quality of life. Right. But she didn't know. She's like, oh my God, I've got this thing. I've got endo. Oh, okay. Then got put on Zolidex felt horrible so that's you know turns off everything and makes you basically um uh reversibly menopausal for that time yep. 
then said we're going to plan all these surgeries then that that doctor went on to do five more surgeries in the space of like eight months to remove endo and also because she kept having a cyst with ovulation which is probably just ovulation and her pain pathways becoming more and more regulated then she went to another doctor who's like renowned for just like operating and operating and treating the lesion like this guy would do you know I would see his patients all the time who become like broken who've had so many laparoscopies put on so much like synthetic progestin to reduce the um size of lesions or to reduce pain and bleeding like two myrenas at once plus synthetic progestin then they would get depressed put on 30 kilos so he'd put them on an antidepressant which would increase their awful right he's treating a lesion that may or may not have something to do with this person's pain he's not treating a whole person and this is like the paradigm right but this woman that I was talking about she then went and saw him he did a hysterectomy um then he she he did an operation two weeks later because she had more pain because she's now got persistent pain all the time and thought okay well she's got she told me i had a nerve trapped in the vault or something it sounds like she's having a pain flare so all of the things like the pain the pelvic muscles the um the nervous system just completely flaring went back to surgery then went back to surgery again like six months later because she had some more pain probably from ovulation from her remaining ovary Now this woman has pain every single day of her life before she didn't and she's now still bleeding and he's left a bit of cervix behind so she's bleeding. Anyway, this is a very big example of why surgery is not benign and that going down that surgical route when we know that there's a very high rate of recurrence of pain. So what the story is then that women just need to have 10 surgeries that still doesn't improve their pain, I totally reject that and I think that it's causing way more harm for women than good. FemPower Health is pleased to partner with the upcoming FemTech and Consumer Innovation Summit. The summit is the latest deep dive event, part of the Women's Health Innovation Series, looking to tackle this growing sector of women's health, having had continental success in driving innovation, investment, research, and partnerships in traditional women's health care by bringing together critical stakeholders. Join us in New York on June 7th and 8th as we channel this success into the consumer sector of women's health. Visit www.femtechconsumerinnovation.com to view the superstar speaker lineup and enter code FEMPOWER15 for 15% off your ticket. Hope to see you there. You know, when I interviewed um, Mike Armour, so this is funny. So how um, I came to interview him is because of that article that was in ABC Mm -hmm. and the title. And, but when you read the article, it like didn't make sense with what the title was. And so I asked him about it and it's, it's interesting because his philosophy is very similar to yours. And he said that unfortunately to get the clicks, they didn't want to change the title. And Mm. so he was stuck because he had control over the article, but not the title of the article. And for anyone who looked at the title and didn't read it, I can see why And I remember I felt very disjointed because I'm like, the title says one thing, the content says something different. Anyways, he was saying similar to you, which is like, we need to get away from, I think you have endo and let's do surgery. And so I think what he was trying to say is like, there's all these other things you could do 
And mm -hmm. if you think it's endo based on these other things first, then there's possible other steps. But he was trying to say like, it shouldn't be therefore do a lap. He, he, it's more, can we do other things instead? And so, um, yeah, it, it was, and I'm glad I connected with him to try to clear it up. And I published the episode so that people can mm. hear like, this is what he actually meant. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting connecting on this because like, I'm, I'm now trying to figure out if we, I, first of all, I almost want to just take part of the segment of what we just discussed and like, get it out there because I think it's such an interesting point and a, a lot of examples, I think, for people to think about and react to. But, um, you know, it's interesting, like, I almost wonder if we should talk about this broader component of rethinking pain for women, pelvic pain for yes, women. This, I'm writing a book, I'm writing a book right now okay. on this. Okay. Absolutely. Because this is the thing. I think that women have been, I think the pendulum has swung from throughout the, throughout time, really, of women having pain and then, um, like, okay, they're just hysterical, it's in their head, they're crazy women, right? And that was maybe a bit what it was like um, in the past and then the I'll oh, just suck it up thing. But also, like, this is a very broad perspective, right? But we, we live in a very patriarchal society. Yeah. So when we have a period, we don't get any, like, we. there's no uh, understanding, there's no concession, there's no, our world isn't built around us. It's like, it's all about productivity. Like, so when you learn about talking to women about their, for example, period pain, it's like, do you miss any days of school or work? Because we can't have not productive women, right? <laughs> but I believe <laughs> that if the world, if the world actually acknowledged that women's biology, people born in a female body if, with female anatomy is, it's different. It is not the same as men, right? We have a 28 to 30 day hormonal cycle that's completely different to men like men have got that our uh, testosterone is really high in the morning yay that works with our 24-hour clock and the way society's built it goes down at the end of the night it gets recharged by sleeping and then it's back up again yay the whole society is built around that we don't have that and our hormones are fluctuating throughout the month and there's right. no language or understand I think that's becoming a bit better and I work in a very like an environment that's that I've built like that so it's okay for, for me but it's not like that in the broader community and you talk about okay well how about like we now after the pandemic we know people can work from home and it works right so I actually think that the world and suffering with pain would be way less if the world was like yes your period's coming you've got one or two days where you can work from home you can be in your own comfortable space we acknowledge that this is something that's happening in your body and we're not forcing you to like continue to do things the way you were three days ago because your physiology is different right now, right? Yeah, absolutely. And countries that take on menstrual leave and things like that, I think that shows. And anyway, so that's a part of it. Okay. So the drive and the pain thing is all pain is bad. All pain is bad. And as you grow up in a female body, we have this sort of conditioned shame around our bodies as the whole body image stuff is fitting into like this one size of what, what is acceptable. There is the shame of periods of like, it's almost like the body is the enemy. I often think about with women with endo who are very identified with that diagnosis. And I think that's, I think it's really important for women to have help and support. And that's amazing. But the identification with endo as like the only thing that, that 
that that diagnosis is the thing that brings them connection, which is all what we're striving for, right? But then that's that meaning and connection just comes with this identification with endo. And what happens is in the par current paradigm is that women are sort of painted as the their body is the so if you think about the victim there's this victim perpetrator rescuer triangle right the victim is often the the woman who is suffering from her pain or endo the perpetrator is their body their body right think about that you're in a war against your female body and so the only way you can deal with it is to cut bits out of it shut it down with hormones turn off anything that that is part of that hormonal cycle or, or, or female body thing. Um, the rescuer is the doctor or the medical system. And there in, in that, the model where you might have endo, let's do an operation, something external to you, let's remove a lesion, not empower you with any of the other stuff, like at the bottom of that iceberg or that pyramid that's looking at like how you can eat that might support you, how you can reduce your stress that might support you, how you can um, use um, supplements and herbs to reduce inflammation, how you might use hormones to reduce inflammation, but that's all empowering you and it's giving you as a woman the tools to make the right decisions for your health. But the current paradigm is just in the surgical thing is let's do a surgery, give you a diagnosis, which you can then identify with for the rest of your life as, um, you know, a like the enemy kind of and then it's all about just the enemy is this lesion in your body that's taking over and you have no power and I think that's terrible and then like the pain is always bad thing is also terrible like you know yes some some pain like most people 90% of people women have pain some pain with their period day one or whatever but young girls from the very beginning are like oh my god I might have endo I might have endo and then in their head because you can't see endo they're like oh but if I don't have surgery and I don't remove it it could just like grow it's like this invisible monster in their pelvis and it does sound really really scary but also there's no understanding and they're like oh but if I don't get it removed it might get worse but there's no um understanding of the natural history of endometriosis there are some people the very minority of people with endometriosis who do have very severe like deep nodular disease and the endometriomas and the ovarian disease but the vast majority of people who have endometriosis have that mild superficial right. disease or one bit you know like one lesion and um and there's no evidence that if you don't do anything, it gets worse. Like there's no understanding of that because to do that, you'd have to do multiple laparoscopies on a woman throughout her life. And for some, for a condition that is benign and for a condition that may or may not cause problems, there's no need to do that. Like I saw a woman the other day with an um, ultrasound diagnosis actually of endometriosis and she has zero symptoms, no pain, nothing. She just had a scan because she was looking at trying to get pregnant and she was older and her GP was like, you know, what do you think? Did she? And then she was terrified. Oh my God, do I need to have this? I asked, do you have, do you have pain? Do you have problems with pain with sex? Do you have any issues with infertility? No, no, no. I'm like, well, no, you don't, we don't need to do anything, but there would be doctors who would go, yes, you need to have that removed. Right. There's no evidence because it's a benign thing, even rectal or um, patch of Douglas disease. They've looked at over time and it doesn't seem to get worse, you know, but it's, I just think it's a, it's an, it's a really interesting area where women are taking, having their power taken away from them, but they kind of feel like someone is listening to me. Um, someone's doing something about it. But the greater thing is 
what is the whole picture of their pain. Like women are blown away when I talk about all the different aspects of their pain because it gives them, oh, okay, I understand what's happening in a pain flare. I can do this. These are my, this is what I can do in my toolkit. Or I'm having like a massive, like the sharp stabby pain. It's probably pelvic floor pain. What can I do? Pelvic floor physio is so important. I can learn to yeah. do releases. You know, it's just, I mean, if someone could do some kind of study on whether they would never do it, but physio is like a thousand times better for pain than yes. surgery. No, I agree. And I'd love for your, your thinking on this. I'm still stuck on this review that I got on my podcast and I wish I could like contact the person. It was like, uh, I, I understand what she's trying to do, but I don't listen to pseudoscience and she's got a, a lot of natural medicine doctors on her podcast. And it was so interesting because I actually bring on different perspectives because I believe that given there are, you know, limited research dollars in women's health, all we can go with is what people who see these women every single day are seeing. And yes, I know it's not a randomized double blind controlled yeah, but, trial. But we have the random, but that, that you're right. In some, you're, you're right. In some areas we do, but and it shows that the, the stuff that we're doing in conventional medicine has pretty sh- terrible I know. evidence. I know. And we're continuing to practice that way. I know. But that's an incredibly important thing to get out there. And that's the other thing, like the women who are like uh, excisional surgery versus ablation, like it's, it has to be excisional. It can't be the evidence that excisional surgery, I mean, I would always do excisional surgery just because it's safer and it's better, but there actually isn't evidence to, to say that it helps pain more. So I don't understand the endo community that are getting really, uh, I think women have been disempowered. And I think that as clinicians, and I I think I love what you're doing because it's about educating and empowering women because it takes away the fear. Like, like just one, I'll say one thing before you go to get your son, but even a, a, something as simple as if someone has um, some pain around ovulation, right. And it might be more severe for whatever reason. And they might go to the doctor and they'll say, oh my God, you've got a ruptured cyst. Sounds terrifying, right? Terrifying. But then I'm like, you know, and then they'll say, oh, I keep having ruptured cysts and it's terrible. And it's ruptured cysts and my body is terrible. I'm like, okay, when do these ruptured cysts happen? Okay. I, okay. So let, I'll just talk to you about another way to explain that. That is your ovary. It's growing a beautiful follicle. It's releasing an egg. And as that little egg pops out of that follicle, it releases some inflammatory compounds which help it to do that and then some of that fluid goes into the pelvis and might irritate the pelvis and and can sometimes be painful there's a um, german word for that which is mittelschmerz which means pain with ovulation but it's just like you're ovulate you're doing amazing things your ovaries are doing what they're supposed to be doing rather than you've got a ruptured cyst in your <laughs> pelvis and it's and it could explode can you see the difference in language and like yes. fear and then how that and you know they've done studies on language and using fear-based language to explain things and how if you don't use that language pain goes down so that's really important because you're not pathologizing women's bodies at every turn yeah. agreed so what you're doing oh is very God. important thank anyway, you no sorry. thank you this is awesome this but this way isn't working <laughs> So it's important that we talk about it. Like it's not working. I'm, I know. I'm, it's, I mean, everyone I talk to who's got anything chronic, this is this is the life, and it's yes. irritating. Exactly. Um, you have a car accident. Great. Western medicine's wonderful. I know. But it, chronic. Yeah. No. Exactly. This was a pleasure. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to get all this information out. I love the way you think. Thanks. Georgie. Okay. Thank you. It was wonderful time. to meet you.
Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this discussion on the FemPower Health podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to information that is referred to in this episode. And if you like this episode and found it timely and valuable, please take a moment to tell a friend or a colleague about FemPower Health. And right after this episode is over, please think of one person who might find this episode helpful and tell them about it. And if your friend is new to podcasting, please show them how to subscribe to our show. And another way to support FemPower Health Podcast is to leave a review where you listen to podcasts. And as a reminder, the information shared by FemPower Health is not medical advice, but for information purposes to enable you to have more effective conversations with your doctor. Always talk to your doctor before making health-related decisions. Additionally, the views expressed by the FemPower Health podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. See you next week. And that wraps up another empowering session here at the FemPower Health Podcast. Now, before you dash off, I've got a quick, exciting invitation for you. Please join our vibrant community by subscribing to our weekly newsletter, because it's really your frontline update on groundbreaking women's health research, the latest health-enhancing products, fun quizzes to boost your health IQ, and unique discoveries that you won't want to miss. All of this delivered straight to your inbox, cutting through the noise of social media algorithms. Love today's insights? Show your support by rating and reviewing our podcast. Your feedback is more than just a pat on our backs here at FemPower Health. It lights the way for others seeking guidance and community in their health journey, amplifying the voices that need to be heard. And for a deeper dive into today's topics, check out the show notes and explore our website at fempower-health.com. Our site is a treasure trove of knowledge, neatly categorized by topics of interest and life stages, ensuring you find exactly what you need to empower your health journey. And your voice matters to us deeply. Whether you have a question, a story to share, or feedback on our episodes, reach out directly at info at fempower-health.com, drop us a message on social media, or hit reply on any newsletter. Your insights inspire our conversations. And a quick note, the knowledge we share is here to embolden you in discussions with your healthcare provider. It's not medical advice. Always consult with your doctor for health decisions. And remember, the diverse perspectives of our guests reflect their individual journeys, and it's not an endorsement by FemPower Health. Here's to empowering your health journey one episode at a time, and I'll see you on the next FemPower Health podcast episode.